Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar, graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Many of you who are listening today might be concerned about your level of employee engagement. That's a really tough term to define, and it's even a tougher thing to put into practice in your organization. Fortunately, I have a resource on the show for you today. Pamela Hackett runs the consulting company Proudfoot. She's the author of the book, Manage to Engage. And we had a really great talk about what employee engagement is, what it looks like, how to measure it, how to increase it, and all the benefits that come from having a workforce that is engaged. So I think you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, Pam is originally born in Australia. She has a great accent. We even address one part of her culture that maybe you know nothing about. But at the end of this, you will certainly know, and I hope that you will appreciate it and give this particular product a try as well as reach out to Pam for help as you work to improve employee engagement in your organization. So let's quit talking about Pam. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's get that personal item under the seat in front of you. Buckle up. Time for us to taxi to the runway and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Pamela Hackett, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to have a chat with you. I'm glad we could get together today, too. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that a lot of HR professionals and managers think about. They may not know what to call it, but we're going to just summarize it as the term engagement. And this is different than a couple who's about to get married. This is a term thrown <laughs> around in business. And, and I'm going to let you talk to us today about what it is, why it's important, what can we do to increase it, but before we do that, I was hoping you could share something about your background with us, including your very different, unique accent. Oh, you see, to me, I, I just think everyone else has a different and unique accent. Um, my accent, I think it's still Australian, but I've and I should say Australian, um, but I've been away so long, I think I've forgotten how to speak. So originally Australian, so British born, a German mum, a British dad, grew up in Australia, and, and then left in the, oh gosh, when I was in my early 20s, I joined Proudfoot, the company that I, I now lead um, as CEO, but I joined them as a consultant 35 years ago and have never looked back. And now I live in, in I actually, I live in Canada, but our offices are London and Atlanta. 
So a little bit of a global trek that, of course, came to a screeching halt <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. And uh, and I have the same complaint about it, you know, that everybody else has, which is running a business from home, a global company from home for the last 18 months is, I know, a challenge for everybody. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you have you had a chance to go back to Australia at all or do you try to make a trip every so often? I used to do um, pretty much every year. Uh, I think it then, you know, the older I got, it became every two years unless work took me there um, in between. And then, of course, for the last 18 months, nothing. And and Australia is now in, in, it's about a year behind in COVID in terms of it's just gone into lockdown. For them, it feels like they've been in, for the, my brother keeps telling me they feel like they've been in lockdown for a year. So, um, you know, it's a different experience there now. Than, than us. We're kind of coming out of it and, and they're still in the throes of it. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, it's interesting because I'm listening to your accent and I can hear yeah and year. So you're doing a little I, of both. Yeah, you're, you're starting yeah. to learn a little bit. of. I was stationed over there many years ago and everybody says, you have an American accent. I said, there's no such thing. I mean, <laughs> you might be from the South and have a Southern accent or New York or Boston, but I have zero accent. So it's just funny, you know, you hear it from somebody else, but most people never realize that. But one thing we do probably have in common is a real interest in what makes employees actually want to come to work every day, give their very best effort and really think about the bottom line of the company, what they can do to contribute. I don't know. That to me is my very loose I guess, definition of engagement, but you're the expert here. So tell us, what does engagement mean to you? Well, and you're not far from it. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's, quite interesting because you could call it just straightforward and you could say oh it's about in, it's about employees getting in the game and being there and showing up and doing all of those things they're great work um, but there's a and there's a big but and that is that in today's world engagement is so dictated by your boss and the kind of relationship that you have with your boss that it's become something that is much more complex and so you said at the beginning of the call that um, you know from a HR perspective um, and that a lot of HR professionals especially are interested in engagement and therein lies some of the problem because what happens is that the management of teams, the people who actually own engagement and actually own the teams are the guys who should be most interested in engagement because it's got, it's, it is not going to get fixed by HR. And I think that's the big misnomer, if you like, of engagement. It's why I, it's why I wrote a book on engagement for managers, um, because it is something that you as a manager, you as a leader, you've got to figure out how you are going to engage your teams. And you've got to understand that you are the determining impact of engagement in the business. And yes, you can go to HR and get all of the interesting things that they may be able to give you in terms of help. But at the end of the day, it's your leadership, it's your behaviour that does it. And so it's not about perks or policies or ping pong tables. It really is about you personally as a leader. And it's probably the only time in business where I'd say take it personally, because engagement is a product of you. And you've got to look at you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, what do I need to do to better engage my teams? So a little bit of a long-winded answer, but if you want your teams to get in the game, then the first place to look is in the mirror. Interesting. So engagement sounds like a, a process 
but being engaged sounds like a condition. Now, did I get those correct or am I? Yeah, that's a nice way of saying it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to put them together. So now the manager's job is to participate in this act of creating engagement and then engagement. I could say as an employee, I am engaged. So let's take a look at both of those. What does it look like for an employee to say, I'm engaged? What are the, is there like a checklist of things that an employee would say, I am engaged or how do we know? You know, there's, there are a lot of different, a lot of different gurus and businesses will say to you, you know, you need to, you need to see how your boss, you know, the boss relationship, you've got to have a buddy at work, you've got to have a clean environment to work in and so on. So there are a lot of things that you can actually use if you want to call it that checklist approach Mm -hmm. but if you if you want to then step back and say well actually it's more around the leader's behavior that enables somebody to say I'm engaged then you've got to start looking at almost a checklist on leaders right and you've got to say what are the things that that a leader should be good at so now there's now you could break it down into a whole bunch of um, personal attributes and, and and things like that but I try to make it really simple and put it into pragmatic terms in terms of things you can actually do so real verbs if you like as opposed to personality traits so you could be a really you could be a really engaging leader and you could be an introvert or you could be an extrovert so it's not about the behavior traits from that perspective it's about what you physically do day to day that impacts on your team so I use a, a, a little bit of a long-winded um, kind of term two F's and seven C's as a or a long-winded scorecard two f's and seven c's and so it it talks to the different areas that you should look at when you're looking in that mirror so the first thing is fair trade and you'll love my australian term of fair income you know Mm -hmm. to me a just a a a a much brighter term than authentic but it means the same you know so so define that for us because i've heard many definitions how would you define it fair income Fed income. Uh, so, you know, in Australian speak, fed income can be, is that fed income? And you're questioning, is that for real? Mm-hmm. Or a fed income deal? Oh, my goodness, that's a great deal. You know, it's a brilliant deal that you're going to get. Um, but it, it is about being authentic. It is about the ability to say, I am real. And I really mean what I'm saying. I'm fed income. And so when you put it in the terms of business, you can actually say, do we have a fair trade where the manager and the employee, the the team leader and the team have a really good trade off? You know, they feel like they're doing a great job and they're getting rewarded for it, not just financially. Um, Am I a leader who treats people with fair trade? So everybody gets a fair go, another great Australian term. Um, And that just means that you're not always talking to the same usual suspects. You know, you're giving everybody a fair go. If you're if you've got a position that's open, you're not going to just point it at the usual suspects. You're going to say, hey, this is open to anyone who's got the attributes of, of that particular position and, and go for it. Um, and then there's the, you know, the whole concept of am I being fed income as a leader? Am I really showing up and being a great person to work with? Am I fair? Am I actually being fair? So that to me is a table stake. It doesn't make, it does not in any way 
bring about engagement, but if it's missing, it gives you disengagement. If you are not fair income, if you are not in a fair trade environment, all of those things can, can really have a negative impact, but they're not going to help you to engage. So firstly, you just got to get that right. And then at the very other end of the scale, the other F is freedom, that sense of autonomy that people, um, you know, that people love to have at work, the ability to really say, here's what I need you to do, you know, go for it. And then come back to me later and let's chat about how you're doing. And I'll come check in occasionally. I'm not going to check up on you because you have the freedom to act. So freedom is an engager. And then everything that happens in between is a sliding scale. And so if you think about two Fs, and then I've got my seven Cs. And there's and these are all things that a leader needs to do. So you've got to connect with people. You've got to create a collaborative environment. You've got to create community. You want to have a really clean ecosystem. You want to stop people from being cheesed off by that stuff that gets in the way of doing brilliant work. You want to build confidence. You've got to have capability. So, you know, you put all of these things together and suddenly you've got some pragmatic solutions that you need to put in place as a leader. And those are things that you can do. So if you take the the connection one as a, as a really straightforward physical thing that you have to do. It's not about, um, it's not about, you know, patting someone on the back and saying, hey, uh, let's connect. Um, it's about regularly, routinely having a drumbeat where you are connecting with your teams, where they can rely on you. They know that if something goes wrong, they're able to say, hey, I need a hand over here. And they know that you're going to check in occasionally with them to make sure that they're on the right track and they're not, not uh, you know, going off in a, in a tangent that maybe isn't the right way to go. And so that concept of checking in is really important, but it should never go across to checking up. And if you do that routinely, you get a drumbeat in your day and you're able to start to understand what goes on in that employee's life, in what's coming at them, and you can then start to do the other Cs. You know, you can fix things that are causing the, the workplace to not be clean, to get in the way of, have things that get in the way of people performing. But you can only do that if you're routinely and regularly checking in with people because then you get to know what's going on so it's a it's a big complicated kind of um, body of things that you have to think about but it doesn't have to feel complicated if you actually sit back and say I've got some things that pragmatically I can do to make a difference to engagement so for a manager to be able to pull this off and, and I'm thinking about that the, the two F's right so you said those are opposite ends of a kind of like a spectrum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm using my hands here, but you can't see it obviously on the podcast. But so, I mean, is it possible that somebody could be stuck in the middle or is the end result you want everybody to be on the far end of the, the other F or how does that work? I mean, is there yeah, a way so to kind of measure it? It's not really a sliding scale. It's more, um, it is more that they are polar opposites. You know, fair trade is at the very beginning in that if you don't have that, you're going to disengage people. But freedom, that really brings engagement. That's something that people really, really strive toward, you know. And then what happens in between is consider them bookends rather than a, a sliding scale. What happens okay. in between, each of those has their own little sliding scale as well. You know, if you think about connection, um, we, we talk about connection into 
terms of something called 1530. Check in once a day, quick, hi, how's it going? How's your wife? How's COVID going? You know, how's the dog? And then how's your performance going? And then you can say, okay, if that's routine and that's a quick, a quick once a day, then five is let's have a little bit more of a, a connection. Let's have a little bit more of a conversation. Maybe there's a couple of things I can, we can do some coaching around. And then 30, once a month, have a real discussion about how how's your career going? How's the job going? And if you get that one five thirty right, you can toss away your annual performance review system because you don't need it. You've got routine, regular conversations going on. You know what's going on in the business as a leader. And you also know how you can help somebody do great work. And, and, and then you can get out of the way and just let them be great. So if you look at it, if you look at it in pragmatic solutions like that, 1530 is a great tool for connection. Whereas if you're, if you then say to yourself, um, I, I actually, I'll, I'll tell you a quick study that we've just done, 50,000 projects and um, that, that Proudfoot has done over the course of the last couple of decades. And in there, there's been about a million leaders that we've coached and then enter a pandemic. So we, we took a look at all the different firms that, that we've been working with and we wanted to see what's making the difference right now in terms of the ones that are best led and the absolute one factor that all of them have in common, the best led, is that management is active in the business. They're actually visible and active, interacting and connecting with people. And if you do that, engagement and productivity go up. And so if you think about it through, through that lens of being active in the business, you almost want to ask yourself, so what, what colour is my day? And when I look at, at my day and I put a colour to it, I can say, ah, oh, I've spent most of my day doing reporting, doing admin, yellow. Mm, actually, what I really want to do for my business, and this is where it does become much more um, personal in terms of the type of industry that you're in, actually for my business, I want to spend a huge amount of my day green. I want it to be really active on the floor. I want to be really close to my guys and I want to work together to get to the end result. And then other businesses, blue is where you want to be, where you're brainstorming and you're thinking about the future and blue sky and what's out there that we should be taking into consideration. So if you step back and again, a pragmatic tool, active management, what's it really look like? It looks like this color for my business. And so my action plan, I need to spend more of my day in the green zone instead of in the yellow, sitting there with my nose in my device, in my reporting and not lifting my head up, which is really an important part of being active as well, going heads up and keeping your, your nose out of your device and connecting with people. What is your response to a manager that says, but my strength is operating in the yellow and the blue and I really don't, I'm not comfortable with the green stuff. Is there another way to, to gain this, almost said gangrene, like gain green, <laughs> or is the only way to make it intentional of I'm going to do some green things today? Well, you're going to have to change your behavior because if you're spending all your time in yellow and blue, then you're probably not really the guy who should be leading a team. You should be the, the guy who is a strategy consultant who does not have to have a team, who is thinking of all these wonderful things and then comes over and, and passes it on to the manager of the team, you know, because at the end of the day, if you don't want to spend your time connecting with people, then you shouldn't be a, you shouldn't be a manager of people because that is your job. So if you think about the only job of a boss, of a supervisor, of a team leader, of a manager or a leader 
is to remove the barriers that prevent people from being successful, right? It's to give them that that initial direction and make sure they've got all the right tools, capabilities, that they're confident, that they're able to, to get out of bed in the morning and know they're going to do a great job. And then when things break down, that's when the manager goes into action. That's when that guy has to remove those barriers to success so that their team can be successful. And if you're not connecting with people, then it's going to be pretty hard to do that. So I, I would say you're in the wrong job. If you if you spend all your time in, in yellow zone, um, get another job. You shouldn't be leading people. Yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, a manager being, uh, bringing their true self, being more authentic. How do you do that if by nature you're kind of an ass? I mean, is it possible that you, I mean, is that what you bring or do you have to make some adjustments? Oh, gosh. So I guess my interpretation of that question is if you're just not a nice person and you're you're the leader of a team, um, I, I wonder how long going forward. So in the past, I think a lot of employees put up with that. Um, they didn't feel they had any freedom to go to the boss and say, listen, you are just a jack and I don't want to work for you anymore. And a lot of a lot of people didn't have choice. So they didn't get to move on to another another company or another role and they were stuck. And then you had a disengaged workforce. Right. So I think that today um, you're going to see a massive change, if not already, where, and you, you know that um, the stats are showing that people right now are changing jobs at a mass scale. You know, they're calling it the great resignation because people are thinking about uh, their life and they're saying, you know what, I don't want to work for this Jack anymore. I'm just, I'm going to do something else. So I think people will vote with their feet. I think they've already started voting with their feet. And I think those guys who are just not nice people will find that they will end up teamless because people will move on. And even in those industries where it's been tough for people to go and get another job, you're seeing now that there is a big change, that skill shortage that's hitting a lot of industries. People will vote and they will move on. So I think that you have to, again, look in the mirror and say to yourself, mm, you know, if I'm just not a nice guy, I'm likely not going to get the results. I'm certainly not going to engage my people. And if I don't engage my people, then I'm certainly not going to get my results. So if we were to, I'm trying to think about a, an organization that, at least from the customer standpoint, I don't see any employee engagement. So the one that comes to mind is the Department of Motor Vehicles. Um, and I have been to DMVs in several countries and many states here, and they're all equally horrible. <laughs> so, uh, so how would that to me, when I think of lack of employee engagement, that stands out to is. me. And if you're listening and you work at one of those places, feel free to turn the volume down. <laughs> but what would be like the first step if, because it seems to me if somebody was engaged and I'm thinking about somebody who treats the business like it's their own. Yeah. If, if I own the DMV, if I ever saw an employee get nasty or stand around fiddling with things while there's a line of people, they'd be gone instantly. Yeah. Not yeah. even a question. But how would we even start with something like that? But isn't that the isn't that the problem? So I'll, I'll give you a real life example. We've done projects in, years ago in the post office, which probably had the same reputation as the the DMV. I think you said you call mm -hmm. it in the states, yeah? yeah, Department of Motor Vehicles. I can't think what we call it now. One of those moments that you I just go to the Shire and I can't it out. think of my Australian term right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But, you know, we're the guys who come up with the really simple terms. You know, we have stores like the Bottle Shop and we mm-hmm. have the Blue Mountain, so it's always easy in our part of the world. Anyway, um, but if you think about it, the post office had that reputation years ago. And and for the most part, that has that moved on. I think that now is a little bit different, um, but they went through the same sort of issues where you had disengaged people. It was almost a, it was that government mentality um, and and no customer service. But you know the 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 change, and this is where it is not industry specific. The change is the level of activeness of the immediate supervisor, the boss. So if you've got a, a, a DMV or a post office where the supervisors, the team leader, the, the the postmaster is not actively engaged. He's not checking in with these people. He's not connecting with them. He's not creating that collaborative and community type environment. Then you're going to get that as the outcome. And so where do you start? You start exactly with the frontline supervisor because they hold the future of your business in their hands. They are the most important. They are the most valuable player in business. If that supervisor isn't equipped to do an engaging job, doesn't understand what his role is or her role, and doesn't understand how to get remarkable results out of their people, then that's what you get as the end result. You get a bunch of old post office styles or the DMV or these, you know, restaurants that you go into where the service is is just terrible. And that's because your frontline supervisor is not doing their job effectively. So for every time you see, and not so much the, you know, one guy who's not doing a great job, that may not be a great reflection of it, but you go into a business and you've got that sense that it's just an under-engaged workplace, the supervisor is the guy to go talk to, not the frontline employee, and ask them how they spend their time, ask them if they understand what their their roles and responsibilities are, ask them if they know what their targets are or what the objective is for the area that they work in, because if they don't, it's more than likely that their people don't either, and the two are really, really connected. Well, it sounds like we've identified the culprit. So (laughs) let's say that we have that individual, a frontline supervisor, and because of that person's way of managing things, our engagement is low, is, I mean, is training the answer, is coaching the answer, is firing the answer? Because I'm sure there are people listening right now saying, I, I've got a guy, right? That's how it, I've got this, I've got this guy. And so is there a way to rehab a person? What is yeah. the secret to getting that done? Yeah. So all of the above and some other things as well. So firstly, what I say there is it's never culpability, right? It's about capability and capacity. So I would say that 90% of the time you can change the outcome of that business by changing the behavior of the supervisor. And a lot of the times nobody trains these guys to understand the impact they have on other people. And so it is a capability issue. Or if you think about today's world, there's so many balls in the air, there's so many plates spinning, there's so much coming at you that it's a capacity issue. So you've really got to look at each individual and say, okay, is this capability or is it capacity? And sometimes it's going to be 
but very seldom is it going to be they're just an indignant person who hates people and, and doesn't want to do a good job. That is probably the, the, the one in, you know, one in a million type situation. For the most part, it's about capability and capacity. So it's, it's great that you use that word culpability because to me, it's, it's never about culpability and it's always first, let's take a look at the capabilities and the capacity of those individuals. And then let's focus on them. Let's teach them what good looks like. Let's give them a really good model of how to spend their time, how to connect with people, how to have those conversations. If you think about what the role of the, the you know, expand a little on what the role of the supervisor is. Firstly, we kind of do it as a cycle and we say the first thing that they've got to be really good at is being heads up. They've got to be able to have presence and visibility. They've got to know what their team vision is. They, they, today, they also need to be kind of tech savvy. Otherwise, people that work for them are not, not uh, too impressed. Um, and they also need to have coaching and influence skills. So those are kind of life skills for anyone who's in a role that has a team. Then there's that concept of 1530. They've got to have a routine to their world so that their team understands that routine and their team knows how to respond to that routine. Then they've got to have some really straightforward kind of behaviours, active behaviours. And if, again, if you think about the job of the supervisor, frontline supervisor, is to know what you plan to do and then what you actually did and help you manage the variance out of the business so that you can continuously improve. And to do that, you've got to be active in the business. And to do that, you've got to have the right tools. So you've got to have some management tools that are going to help you, which is that whole concept of the ecosystem, you know, the, the what what are you, what's the workplace offering you to be successful? And then you're going to need to know the two Fs and seven Cs because if everything else doesn't make those guys that you're working with engaged, then there's some other things that you need to fix. And so if you think of it as that kind of ever, ever all the time, that continuous cycle, the job of the supervisor is a tough job today. And mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what company, what industry, it's tough. And so we, we absolutely have to be have to feel obliged to make sure that those guys are well equipped to do their job because if if they're not that's what the outcome is you get no engagement you get no productivity you get no results and that's when companies with their net promoter scores plummet you know because they're neither engaging nor productive workplace that was a long-winded answer no it's a good one because it's actually leading me to the next question so so we've identified what a bad boss can do and mm -hmm. it's damage that is not only to just the psyche of the workers, but it hurts the business. So let's say we have one of these really bad bosses and we finally get rid of them and we bring in somebody who has been enlightened. They've read your book. They understand these things. I mean, is it going to be like night and day that we suddenly switch from the old DMV where everybody's walking around trying to act busy so they don't have to stare a customer in the face or and then it suddenly transforms into this amazing experience like going to Chick-fil-A. Is it that <laughs> quick or does it? Which is, yeah, which yeah. absolutely shows the different result. Yeah. So, so it can be quick, but it takes a really methodical process to do it. Um, and it's not going to be overnight because you have to earn the right to, to be able to engage, right? So, you know, gone are the days of, of, of the employees needing to simply do what the boss wants them to do. The boss needs to actually earn the right to, for the employees to do what he or she wants them to do. And so if you think about 
about it from that kind of perspective. You've got to have a really methodical way of changing all of those. I, I mentioned five points in, in that cycle of management that people have to change. They've firstly got to change their overall behavior, which is more around life skills. They've then got to get that routine, that drumbeat going. They've then got to get the right conversations going around how the, how's the day going, what you plan on doing, what you actually did. And they've got to have the right tools. So if you think about those four things already, there's some work to be done to make sure that all of those are in place, right? But it's it's something that can happen and it can happen in a really methodical way. And you mentioned the key word earlier, which is coaching. You know, if you've got the right tools and then you put somebody in the job, what you're obliged to do then is coach people to actually succeed. And that's the problem with training is often what we don't do is the follow-up coaching. We take everyone to a nice class, we throw up all the PowerPoints or we give them online learning now, but we don't actually go back and coach them and say, okay, how's that working for you? How'd it go? And what kind of response did your team have? And do you know how to, you know, how you should cope or deal with this particular circumstance and start giving those little nudges to make sure that the behavioral change is in place and that it's actually going to last. So if I had to put a time frame on it, um, and this now is now is really based on live examples with the clients that we work with, but it takes about, and 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 I'm going to sound a little bit like a consultant for a minute but when we do a project we do a project in four week sprints and it takes about for an area so let's pretend that we went into the dmv and we'd spend the first four weeks figuring out what the current um, behaviors are and the current models and everything are then we'd redesign them in the next four weeks with everybody involved to say hey what does good look like now let's redesign these then we would give them a shot and we'd pilot them and everyone would would give it a try and then we'd say, right, is everyone happy with that? So now we're at week 12. Now the next four weeks, this is it. We're going to practice. We're going to do this in the real world. And we're going to make sure we put everything in place for this. And then that's now 16 weeks. And then the last four weeks, we're just going to come back periodically and coach. So what I counted there was 20 weeks. You can go from being that horrible, terrible business to a star performing organization in 20 weeks. And then a little bit of continuous coaching to make sure that things don't slip. But that, that gives you a completely different behavior that's happening in your business, which gives you a completely different culture, which gives you a much more engaged world. So, yeah. So if that's not too consulting speak for you. No, it's, it's actually really good. I'm curious how you came up with the four week sprint. Is there any psychology behind four weeks or anything or is a lot it, of it so it years ago when i joined proudfoot 35 years ago it was very much around how long does it take to create new behaviors and how long does it take to get teams to come up with new and different tools and ways of working and picture that future and so on um but it is i mean it, 50 000 projects later that is about the the shape of it and whether you go into an insurance company and work with one department there or whether you're in an underground mine and you're looking for a safe daily blast on a wall you know on a coal face it is exactly the same principles 
in the same kind of sprints. But it's really important to break it up into sprints because you, you probably know when you get in the car to do your round the world journey, you know, the last thing you want to do is look at it and say, well, geez, this can take me a year or this can take me six months. What you really want to do is say, well, I know that in three weeks time, I'm going to be in China and in, you know, six weeks time, I'll be over here. And you break it into those sprints and then people start to process. They know how far they're going. And, you know, it's really important to have them understand how far away they are from the finish line without it being one that's so unattainable because it's 20 weeks away. Let's just break it into four week sprints. Yeah, I think you can do most anything for four weeks, I guess. Yeah, huh? yeah, That's good. yeah, That's good. Yeah. All right. So here's my next question for you, because we talked about engagement. And so if somebody's listening to this right now and is wondering, how do I know if my workforce is engaged? Is there some way to do this or a survey or what do you recommend? Well, you could do all the surveys you want in the world, but I think they're more employee satisfaction. Um, I, the best way to look at, uh, as to whether you've got an engaged workplace is the results. How productive are they? How safe is the environment? Are they meeting the targets? Are they actually delivering great customer service? You can tell a lot about engagement by the results of the company. And that's because the two are completely intertwined. One begets the other. And that's why, you know, I, I, I wrote the book because if you look at all the big change projects and transformation projects that, that are out there, the, the, the big box consulting firms will quote that 75% of change programs fail. And the reason they fail is because people miss the most important piece, which is employee engagement engaging people in the journey and taking them along. What they do is they aim straight for the number. Oh, we've got to change the outcome. You know, we're looking for more profitability or better productivity or better customer service. And they go straight for that. And they completely miss the importance of employee engagement. And, and that's it. So for me, it's more look at the results that you're getting and then work backwards from there and look at the teams. If a team in a business, you've got three or four teams that are doing excellent work and then you've got this one over here that's not doing terribly well, oftentimes it will fall back to they don't have a, a great active manager. They don't have the right management tools. The area, the workplace is not working for them. It's working against them. So it's all about results. So my second to last question then, uh, now that a lot of organizations have become virtual or hybrid, does that impact the, the quest to get to engagement? Is it different? Is it more difficult? What have you seen so far? So, yeah, what we're seeing is that um, the remoteness, you know, you can be remote without being remote. And so the remoteness actually brought everyone together a hell of a lot closer to begin with. And what you've really got to do now is try to keep that. If you could bottle what happened at the beginning of the pandemic was that a huge amount of businesses, leadership got flattened, they got closer to their people. You know, you got to see what's behind you and you got to meet the dog and the, the rest of the family, in whether it was on purpose or not. Um, the, the key there is to bottle that. But if you think in terms of that 1530, it's as applicable with a remote workforce as it is with the workforce that's in place. You know, me as a, as a Proudfoot as a company, the one I lead, the um, we've always had remote work forces because all our work is 100% at a client site. So it's very seldom that you would see one another unless you actually got on a plane and went to the same project as, as some of your, you know, your team. We practice 1530. 
And we did that irrespective of a pandemic and just as that's the way that we do business. And if you can get that drumbeat into your business, that's how you get rid of that remote feeling because you're still checking in routinely once a day or whatever the number is for your industry. But for, for the most part, if you're a team leader, check in once a day, have a really meaningful conversation once a week and then talk about the person's career and what their aspirations are once a month. And if you can get that nailed, that's a huge impact on engagement, but it's also a great way to deal with that remoteness. So it's possible we could come out of COVID-19 and all this nonsense better for the experience, it sounds like. Well, I think so. I think so. I think that you have to. And I think that's what leaders and, and managers today, that's what they've got to work towards. You can't look at look at the one major thing that we learned from the pandemic. What we learned is that people aren't resistant to change. We changed in a heartbeat. Everybody changed their behaviours in an absolute heartbeat. Things that people had tried to get done for years suddenly got done in days, weeks, overnight in some cases. So gone are the days of thinking that, oh, no, I've got a really, really resistant workforce that won't change. No, maybe the issue was leadership. Maybe leadership didn't have the capability or the capacity to engage people in the right way to get them to do something different. And the pandemic showed that we can all change. We can change in a heartbeat. All right. My last question is the most important. As someone who grew up in Australia, do you actually like Vegemite? Oh, my goodness. Not at all. Why? Oh, Are you serious? Poor you Vegemite don't? people are going to be upset with me. But no, I can think of nothing worse. I know the kids, we'd go to school and, the, you know, a lot of my 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 uh, friends and mates would all come to school with their Vegemite sandwiches. And I just, oh, no. So, yeah, I, I think I miss that gene. I don't know. I see. I, you know, when I went over there, it was 84. So the minute work saying about the Vegemite sandwich. Yep. And I ate it. I thought, this is good. <laughs> this is really oh, good. No. And, it's just like eating burnt toast. Oh, no. My son said it tastes like toenails. I said, what are you doing eating toenails <laughs> in the first place? It actually is really, I think the problem is Americans think it's Nutella. And if you see that oh, yeah, you're Nutella, you're going to yeah. have a shocker, yeah, right? Yeah. It's the but, difference between a grape and, a, and an olive, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're about to yeah, eat a grape, you yeah. eat an olive. Yeah, so you're same. obviously not a very good spokesperson for your country's home product, but I'm not at all. As I someone who that. lived there for a while, yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah. You just don't yeah. stick it on like Nutella, right? You, you dry <laughs> brush it on your toast. Yeah, hopefully people remember more about our conversation than Vegemite. Than but, Vegemite. But on that note, um, we're at the end of our time together. So Pam, how can the audience reach out to Proudfoot? to help them through some of these projects. And secondly, how do they get a copy of the book? Proudfoot.com. And that uh, that gets you in touch with uh, anyone at Proudfoot. And the book is on there as well. But it's also, thank you for asking me the question, but it's also available in all the major bookstores and on Amazon and on Audible. So I think you can get it just about anywhere that you'd go to buy buy your book. And it's published by Wiley. So it's it's really accessible. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Pam, I really appreciate you taking time today. I know you've had a busy day, but we sure have enjoyed chatting with you. And uh, if you're listening today, please check out proudfoot.com and get a copy of the book, Manage to Engage. Thank you, Pam, for being on the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me get the word out on engagement. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. 
At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.